Well, if you have your Bible, please turn with me to Romans chapter 8, verses 5 to 11. Uh, we started a series uh, two weeks ago entitled uh, Eight Reasons to Rejoice in the Gospel. And what we set out to do is spend nine weeks in the book of Romans chapter 8. Uh, and two weeks ago, I made the, the, the case that Romans 8 is the greatest chapter in the Bible. It is the GOAT chapter uh, because it contains the full array, the sweeping scope of gospel promises. And, and here's how I was thinking about it. Um, if, Ro if the Bible is a calendar, then Romans would be the month of December, and Romans 8 would be Christmas Day. And in Ro Romans 8, we have essentially eight beautifully wrapped gifts that we get to spend uh, each week opening up and really uh, playing with and enjoying those gifts. And last week, the gift that we got to enjoy, the first reason to rejoice was uh, that we have a freeing declaration in Jesus, that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And so this morning, we got a chance to open up another gift. So what is that gift to enjoy? Well, that's what we're going to look at. So would you stand with me at this time as your act of worship to read and receive God's holy word? Romans chapter 8, beginning with verse 5 into verse 11. Hear now the reading of God's holy word. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. And friends, could I pray for us once more as we begin? Father, we ask uh, that by your Spirit's illumination that you would open up our eyes to understand uh, your word, which is the result of your Spirit's inspiration. And Spirit, because you wrote this book, uh, we need your help to understand it, but not only to understand it, but we need your Spirit's power to live it out. And so God, help us this morning, focus our mind, our thoughts, and our hearts on you, encourage us and build us up all into the maturity we are to attain in Jesus Christ, so that, Lord, we would be um, conformed in to his image more and more. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, let me begin with this question. Uh, what does it mean for the Spirit to be in you? Or, or what does it mean for the Spirit to be present with you? For the Spirit to be with you? I was reading this book by uh, J.D. Greer. He's a pastor, and now he's the, the president of the Southern Baptist Convention. And he tells this story in a book he wrote. He, he writes this. A friend once told me about a Christian singer he knew who rented a recording studio. After an extensive setup and sound check, uh, she began performing her first song. The sound technician thought it sounded great. But about halfway through the first verse, she stopped abruptly, threw up her hands, and said, It's no use. Turn it off. He's not here. The sound tech said through the studio mic, Uh... 
who's not here? Him, she said. The Holy Spirit. His presence. It's missing. She called a few friends into the studio, and they commenced to laying their hands on various pieces of equipment, praying for God's presence, and dabbing the equipment with oil. After a few minutes, she began singing again. About 30 seconds in, she again said, Stop! He's not here. Let's pray again. Another 15-minute session of walking around the room, anointing, shouting, muttering incantations. Again, she started. And again, she stopped. And then again, in came the prayer posse. By this time, the sound tech was getting annoyed. His equipment was getting greasy. As she began recording for the fourth time, he noticed that the reverb on her monitor was turned off, so he reached down and turned it up, at which point she put her hands in the air and began to say, Hallelujah, there he is, he is here. <laughs> the sound tech simply did not have the heart to say to her, uh, No, ma'am, that was the reverb. Now, J.D. Greer tells this story because he goes on to say, often Christians mistake the presence of God, the presence of his spirit, with these kinds of emotional experiences or sensations or uh, kind of spiritual manifestations. So let me ask you, when you think about the spirit's presence with you or in you, what do you envision? What comes to mind? What does it mean for the spirit to be with you or in you? Now, in today's text, Paul makes an outstanding claim. It's so outstanding that uh, for some, it may even cross over into outrageous. And that's this. He says, the Holy Spirit isn't just present with you if you are a Christian. The Spirit doesn't just come and go where and when he pleases visiting you today and leaving tomorrow. The Apostle Paul says that the Holy Spirit of God dwells permanently in you. The Holy Spirit of God takes residence in your heart. In fact, if you are a Christian, you can never stop and say like this singer, he is not here. For wherever you are, there the Spirit of God is always there right with you because he lives in you. As we consider Romans 8, verses 5 to 11 today, here is reason two to rejoice in the gospel. In Jesus Christ, you have an indwelling spirit. Reason two, in Jesus Christ, you have an indwelling spirit. Now, three times Paul says in this passage, this good news that the spirit indwells us. If you look at your Bibles at verses 9 and 11, he says, you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if in fact the spirit of God dwells in you. And then he says, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you now why is this good news this news that the spirit of god dwells in us why would this be a gift that we rejoice in and i want to briefly touch on three reasons that i think we see here in this text for why we can rejoice in the gift of the indwelling spirit the first reason is this the spirit is god's very presence with us Having the Holy Spirit indwelling in you is God's very presence with you. Right? Listen again to verse 9. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. The Spirit, he is called here the Spirit of God, referring to God the Father. That God the Father has given to you God the Spirit. And this Spirit is not some kind of off-brand generic Spirit. This is not school Spirit that uh, we have during homecoming 
coming week. This is not the spirit of, of holiday cheer or the Christmas season that spreads throughout the office. This is the Holy Spirit of God, the person of the Spirit. So God the Father, we have God the Father's Spirit. And then later in verse 9, the Spirit is also called the Spirit of Christ, meaning that he is the one Jesus himself sent. And why is that important? Because Jesus said something really interesting in his earthly ministry here when he was walking this earth. In John 16, verse 7, he's talking to his disciples, and listen to what he says. He says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper, who is the Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. What Jesus is saying here is that it's better for us to have the Spirit's permanent presence than his passing presence. And that who he is sending to us is his very spirit. In fact, you know that story I read by J.D. Greer comes from this book he, he wrote, and the title of the book is just a genius. I love it. The title is Jesus Continued, Why the Spirit in You is Better Than Jesus Beside You. Why the Spirit in You is Better Than Jesus Beside You. And, it, and it's such an amazing title because it's of its theological truth. It's not just hyperbole, you know, meant to grab attention and sell copies, which often books have those kinds of titles for that reason. But what this, what he's saying, Jesus continued, why the spirit in you is better than Jesus beside you is consistent with what Jesus himself is saying, that he is sent to us his very spirit and he indwells us, meaning that God is with us. And, and this is important because there are times in life when we would really love to have Jesus beside us, isn't there? When, when, we, when we say with um, Carrie Underwood, Jesus, take the wheel. We, we want Jesus to walk with us and, and we want him to be near us and with us and we want him to pick us up and we want him to weep with us and we want him to hold us in his arms. But even Jesus himself is saying, you know what's better than having me with you? It's having my spirit in you. Because Christ in the flesh was among us, but the Spirit of God is in us. And you have to know this, that, that your heart, it's not like a P.O. box where the Spirit occasionally drops by the, the post office and he, he visits and he checks in you every once in a while. No, no, no. Your heart is not a P.O. box. Your heart is the permanent address in which the Spirit dwells. And the very Spirit of God is in you, the very presence of God is in you, that means you are never alone, that God is always with you. You know, I heard this story about a recovering alcoholic who once told his friend that, that once he became a Christian, um, he stopped drinking, that this addiction to alcohol just suddenly went away. And, and his friend was a bit skeptical, so his friend looked at him and, and, and didn't believe in the transformation, basically said to him, are you telling me, are you really telling me that when you're alone and things aren't going well and you have no one to turn to and you feel just so stuck in a runt, are you telling me that even then you don't want to drink your sorrows away? And this believer looked at him and responded, well, here's the thing. You started your question when you're alone. But ever since I became a Christian and the Spirit dwells in me, I am never alone. This is what it means for the Spirit of God to be with you. In the moments when it seems that God is far from you, the only thing that is far away is your thoughts from the truth. God is never far from you when he is in you. 
And you know what I love about the, the structure of Romans 8? It's, it's so beautiful because last week when we looked at verses 1 to 4, what we considered there was how God gave us the gift of his son. Right, that was Romans 8, 1 to 4, that God gives us the gift of his son. But Romans 8, 5 to 11 is about God giving to us the gift of his spirit. And why is this so important? Because, because listen to this. Through the son, you are brought into God's presence. Through the Son, you are brought into God's presence. But through the Spirit, God's presence is brought into you. Think about that. Through the Son, all the sin and the barriers that blocked us from God's presence is removed. And so now we are in God's presence. But through the Spirit, God takes His very presence and He comes to dwell in you. Meaning, if you are a Christian today, you can rejoice at the indwelling spirit because God is with you. Meaning, one, you could never leave him behind. You could never forget him. And second, he'll never leave you behind. No matter how far you feel, no matter how distant, no matter how alone, no matter how abandoned, the spirit in you, dwelling in you, is God's very presence with you. So that's the first reason. Now here's the second reason. The Spirit is the seal that you belong to Jesus. The Spirit is the seal you belong to Jesus. If you look at the second half of verse 9, Paul writes, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. And this is written in, in a negative way, but if we uh, say it positively, it actually makes a lot more sense. Paul is basically saying, if you belong to Christ, you have his Spirit. And conversely, to have his Spirit is evidence that you belong to Christ. So the indwelling spirit in you is proof that you belong to Jesus. To possess the spirit is evidence that Christ possesses you. And it seals this matter, the matter that you have been purchased by Christ, that you've been blood-bought, that you are his, and that's why you belong to him. And you know, Ephesians 5 has that great passage where it says, uh, Jesus is the groom, and we are, we the church, we are his bride. Now, if Jesus is the groom, and we the church are his bride, in this marriage metaphor then, you know who the spirit is? The spirit is the wedding ring around your finger that declares to the world, I'm taken. I belong to another. And here's why this is important, because so, much in the, so many times in the Christian life, um, old masters, old idols, old things that have enslaved us, they come back to us, and they come with demands. And these things, these old masters, old idols, they don't ever come and they don't simply ask you to serve them. They don't come and bend the knee and plead with you. They come demanding that you serve them. And so often we're like a gomer in the story of Hosea because we have these inclinations and these desires to return back to old gods and old lovers and old addictions and old enslaving things because we're so familiar with them. We're so comfortable with old ways of living. But it's in those moments when, when those slave masters come back and they make demands of you that you must know the Spirit of God in you is your seal in your defense that you don't belong to them anymore. They have no authority over you. You belong to another. You know, in the same way that a wedding ring is meant to tell others, hey, move along. It's also meant to remind you, I'm already taken. I'm, I already have a master. I already have a Lord. And he loves me so much, he gave up his life for me. And as a believer, one thing that we have to constantly learn in the Christian life is how to appeal to the Spirit, how to remember the Spirit in us as our receipt, as our proof of purchase. 
In fact, as a proof that we have been purchased and that we belong to Christ. Because there are so many moments, even in my own life, when uh, I get these, these suspicions and these doubts thrown at me again. When old temptations come and old desires come back and, and I feel like they're enslaved and they're calling me to themselves and I feel like you know, I, need to, I, I, I owe something to them as if I belong to them. The Spirit of God living you testifies with your spirit that you belong to Christ. You know, uh, not too long ago, I was at one of these um, big chain coffee shops, and uh, I'm not going to say the name, but, but I was at one of these big chain coffee shops, and uh, I chose to sit at a table right near the entrance, because that's where the windows are, and, and the light was coming in, and it was a nice place to sit, and, and um, after I had my cup of coffee, I went to the bathroom, which is in the, the restroom, which is in the back of the, of the, the coffee shop, and I went back to, to my table and um, realized, you know, I was low on coffee, and so I, I went to go get a refill. And I took the cup, and I went back to the register, and I asked for a refill, because, you know, it's free at this place, and uh, the barista said uh, that I couldn't get one. And I, and I was really surprised because, uh, you know, they have a refill policy and, uh, you know, I'm a gold member. <laughs> I guess I gave it away. Um, and, and what she said was, uh, no, you can't because I saw you coming in through the door uh, with the empty cup. Uh, and you had to have previously made a purchase here. Um, but, you know, you're just trying to get a free cup of coffee. And I was so flabbergasted and, and astonished, and you know, I, I didn't know what to do, so I was just insisting, no, you know, I was here the whole time, and, and she just shook her head and said, and said no. And, and to be honest, it was so incredibly frustrating because, you know, she was basically saying I, I was lying and, and that, you know, she wasn't taking my word for it. Uh, but luckily for me, this unnamed store uh, has a phone app uh, that you can use uh, to pay for your purchases, you know. And so the thought went, oh, well, I can prove my purchase. And, you know, I took out my phone and said, look, you know, I, I literally bought this coffee like 40 minutes ago. And after that, she reluctantly, you know, gave me my coffee. And, and I won't lie, the whole experience of the really bad taste in my mouth. But after that experience, their coffee started leaving bad taste in my mouth. So, um, but here's the thing, you know, that thinking of, of, of how do I appeal to a proof of purchase? You know, that, that's the Holy Spirit in you. The Holy Spirit is the appeal to the proof that you have been purchased. And so when these old enslaving things come back, and they're trying to convince you again that you owe a debt or you need to make a payment or that somehow you still belong to them. The Spirit of God testifying in you says, no, you belong to Jesus. He has paid your debt. You are blood bought. And because the price has been paid, you know I belong to Jesus Christ. All right, so that's the second thing. The third thing that the Spirit does is this. The, th the Spirit is a guarantee of resurrection hope. The Spirit of God in you, dwelling in you, is a guarantee of resurrection hope. Look at verse 11. It says this. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. And what Paul is saying here is this. The Spirit who powerfully and mightily raised Jesus from the dead, He is the same Spirit who is alive and active and indwelling in your own life. The fact that the Spirit lives in you means that the promised hope of eternal, indestructible life now lives in your mortal, frail, and finite body. 
And you have to know what in kind of encouragement that brings. That the Spirit of God ensuring, testifying, indwelling you is solidifying this hope, guaranteeing you this hope that no matter what happens in this life, no matter what tragedies you face and deaths lie ahead of you or your loved ones, that for those who are in Jesus the Christ, there is nothing that can smolder out the promised hope of Spirit-empowered resurrection. The Spirit in you is testifying with your spirit and helping you believe that one day you will share in the resurrection just like Christ because the same Spirit who raised Christ from the dead is at work in you. Now, knowing that truth, it, here's what it doesn't change. It doesn't change any grief or sorrow that you feel. It doesn't, it doesn't lessen the, the, the pain and the searing loss of suffering in this world. But here's what it does mean. It guarantees you through this hope of resurrection that those things can never break you. Because those things are never the end of you. In Martin Luther was writing a letter uh, in 1532. He was writing a letter to this distraught, defeated, depressed friend. And let me just kind of summarize what he wrote to this guy, this nobleman in this letter. He writes, um, Good friends have informed me that the evil one is tempting you severely with weariness of life. Our Lord Jesus Christ also found life to be burdensome. Yet he was unwilling to die until it was his Father's will. So that means no matter how unwilling you are to live, you are going to live and you're going to like it. Be gone, you thoughts of the devil. To hell with dying and death. You will get nowhere with me. Imagine if you had that kind of hope surging in you. You know, think about this. If the crucifixion could not keep Christ from resurrection life, then what kind of cancer can keep you from resurrection life? Think about this. If the tomb could not keep Christ from resurrection life, what kind of tumor is there that can keep you from resurrection life? In fact, what kind of death or decay or deterioration or disease or disorder could ever keep you from the glory of resurrection life that the Spirit is working in you? then this is the guarantee, the spirit, the indwelling spirit in us guarantees us that this resurrection hope we have in Christ is not just a hope we have in Christ, but it's a hope we have for our very selves. And this changes at least the way that you look at the things of this world. That they're not as definitive or scary as they once thought. You know, things like, like hospices and ICUs and ERs and surgery rooms and cancer wards and, you know, medication and therapies and all these things that, that strike a fear deep inside of us. The Spirit of God indwelling in you is reminding you that when that fear grips your heart, he, he brings those words of Martin Luther to your lips. Be gone, you thoughts of the devil. To hell with dying and death. You will get nowhere with me. That's the hope of resurrection life in us. It's kind of like this. You ever play Monopoly? And among the chance cards, one of the cards you can draw is a get-out-of-jail-free card. You know what the Spirit of God is? The Spirit of God is a get-out-of-death-free card. But he's not given to you or drawn by simple chance. He is guaranteed and promised to you by the Spirit who indwells you. I think if Christians really understood the indwelling presence of the Spirit testifying to these things, resurrection hope 
We belong and are possessed by another. And the fact that God himself is with us and those things would begin to change how we live out our Christian life. But those are, those are three of many things that the Spirit does for us and in us. But let's stop and consider this. How and why would the Spirit come in and dwell in you? Okay, it's great. If the Spirit is in you, this is what He does for you. But why would the Spirit ever come? Why would the Holy Spirit ever come to indwell in unholy people, of which I know I include myself? In fact, shouldn't the Holy Spirit have done the very opposite when he saw the unholiness of our hearts and lives? Shouldn't he have run the other way? You know, when I, um, when I was in college, uh, my freshman year, you know, everybody is looking to make friends. And so I made friends with, with a lot of the guys on my, uh, in my, in my floor. Our dorms were split in these houses. I lived in uh, the Lazier house, they called it. And so I made friends with, with all these guys in the Lazier house. And they all ended up joining a fraternity. Um, I, I didn't end up joining that fraternity, but they all did. So by their junior year, um, they all had to move into the frat house. Uh, and they wanted me to, to visit them. And, um, you know, they, they, kind of, they respected that, you know, I was a Christian, um, that I didn't you know, really, really want to go to the parties. And so they said, I want, you know, just one of the weekdays, why don't you come over, check out our place. And, yeah, okay. So one afternoon, I, I went to their, uh, to their frat house. And, um, man... It was, it was the most disgusting uh, place I, I've ever been. And this is coming from a fellow guy. I mean, this is, this is if you know me, <laughs> you'll go, oh, wow, it must have been really bad. Um, and, and this is because, you know, as a frat house, they're required to, you know, throw parties because they need to, you know, get money and pay for things. And, and so the, the, the house was really, it was, it was just like a cesspool of just nastiness and grime. And uh, I went in the middle of the day, which, which was, uh, I thought, smart, but wasn't so smart because, you know, the sun was out and you could, every stain, you know, was exposed and every stench, you know, hit my nostrils like an offensive punch. And uh, I, I remember, you know, when you go at parties, it's loud, so many people, but it was dead quiet in the middle of the day. And every time I walked, the floor was so sticky, you could hear the suction, you know, off of your shoe. Just, I, I didn't want to imagine what was on those floors. And, um, you know, after I visited, and they're like, how'd you like the place? And I was like, oh, it's great. Um, you know, and they said, oh, why don't you come over again? And I was like, yeah, we'll see. Um, and I, I can be honest, I, I never visited again. Uh, I went once and never again. Because there's no way in a million years uh, I would ever, you know, go to a place like that. Like, you'd have to pay me rent for me to live there, uh, that kind of situation. And I think about that, and I bring that up only because as I think about the condition of our hearts and why the Holy Spirit would want to come live in me or in you, it's, it's, it's mind-boggling, sort of like, why would anybody want to live in this dirty, grimy house? Because when Paul talks about the condition of our hearts, when, he, when, he, when, he's, when he's dead honest in his evaluation and analysis of your heart, this is, this is what he says that our hearts are filled of. And this is what he says earlier in Romans. He says, our hearts are filled with, with all manner of unrighteousness and evil, covetousness, malice, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. And he goes on, he calls us gossip, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. And he's saying, that's what your heart is really like. 
Actually, even in this very verse, in, in verses 5 to 8, Paul's basically saying in that section, before you were in the Spirit, you were in the flesh. And when you walked according to the flesh, you set your mind on the things of the flesh. And then he says, for the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You see, what Paul's analysis when he's looking at your heart is saying this. He said, the matter of your heart is not simply a matter of, of being unable to please God. Being in this thing that he calls the flesh is really a matter of being hostile to God. You refuse to submit to God's law because you hate his law. And this is the state of, of, of every person left in the flesh without the spirit, you know, yours and, and my state. And you have to understand, it's into this kind of heart, one who lives in, f in the flesh, that the Spirit of God chooses to come and enter and dwell with us. And it's such an outrageous thought that the Holy Spirit would come and dwell in the unholiness of my own heart. But here's the thing. You know, when we think about why the Spirit would do that, He doesn't do it because you've now created uh, a welcoming and inviting an, an open space and environment in your heart for Him to come. Like, like, we would never ask the Spirit to come over into our hearts because as Paul reminds us, uh, we are in hostility with Him. We would never want to. And so the Spirit's decision to come and enter into your heart and to indwell you was never prompted by anything you would do for Him. It was always prompted by what He was committing to do for you. And this is an important decision to make. Right, when we think about why would the Spirit come and dwell in us? You know, I, I, let me share this story. When I was um, in my 20s, I was with a group of friends, and um, we were praying for a revival in, uh, in Baltimore, and uh, where I'm from, and uh, we were throwing, we were, not throwing, we, we, we were planning and preparing for this uh, praise night, this revival, uh, in which we you know, had all these local church uh, coming. And every week we were gathering for prayer and for preparation, and we were praying and seeking God's blessing on this night. And uh, about a month before the planned date, uh, I, I remember this. We were at church and we were sitting in a circle and we're all, we're all praying. And, um, and uh, I, I remember this night because right at that time, I was hanging out with a lot of um, charismatic Christians. Uh, you know, really, really, you know, spirit-sensitive uh, people. And uh, right around that time, somebody gave me this book called Hosting the Holy Spirit. And it was uh, somebody I really respected and I loved. And so, you know, they gave me this book, Hosting the Holy Spirit, and I started reading it. And... Um, I don't think I have the book anymore, but I looked it up on Amazon, and, and I, I, I still remember this clear as day. This is the opening paragraph. You open the book, the book's introduction. This is the first paragraph. Have you ever wondered why some churches are more blessed than others? Or why the presence of God can be more readily felt and enjoyed in these places? I believe these blessed churches have learned well how to host the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God is welcomed, appreciated, and honored in these churches, and is thus delighted to abide there. And then a few paragraphs later, he goes on to write um, this. This book looks at ways you can best host the Holy Spirit, both in your own personal life and in the life of your church. For where the Holy Spirit is welcomed, he brings his favor and his blessing. And I remember reading that and being so influenced by this, that we were at this, this meeting. We had been meeting for months, preparing, praying, fasting, all these things. Um, and, and I just say, you know... Um, I still cringe kind of thinking about it. I, you know, I said to the group, hey guys, I really feel like the Spirit is telling me something. 
Now, if someone says that, you got to listen. So everyone said, yeah, what is he telling you? And, and I said, you know, I feel like the Spirit is telling us we need to cancel the event. Um, and everyone's just like so shocked because we've been praying and preparing for months. And they're like, why would we do such a thing? And, and I remember I said, um, because I don't feel like we're creating an inviting space for the Spirit to come and dwell with us. And, you know, this whole idea of hosting the Holy Spirit. And I told the group, you know, like, we're not creating the right habitation for him. Uh, we're not being good hosts in how we're hosting him. And, and I think if, since we're not being good hosts, then, then the Spirit of God won't visit us. And if he doesn't visit us, then this whole night is in vain. And I said that with authority of this is what the Spirit of tell is telling me. So everyone was just like, okay. So we canceled the event. And, you know, yeah, so when I think about that, that was, you know, years ago, I still cringe a little bit because, you know, unfortunately for, for everybody, both I and that book, what we missed is this fundamental part of why the gospel is good news, and that's this. This is what we missed. This is what I missed. The Spirit doesn't come to us because of our invitation. The Spirit comes to us by His initiation. You see, that's a fundamental thing to understand. Let me repeat that. The Spirit of God doesn't come to us by way of our invitation. The Spirit comes to us by way of His initiation. When we fail to remember this, you know, what, what we end up thinking is, oh, if we invite the Spirit, then, then, then we need to, to impress Him or, or, or convince the Spirit to come to us. And, and I think, you know, when I was thinking about the Holy Spirit this way, I basically was treating Him like, um, like He was an A-list celebrity who was too good and too bougie to, you know, sleep at the local motel. And like, that's what we were preparing. And oh, the Spirit only stays at five-star hotels and with the luxury amenities and accommodations. And oh, guys, you know, like what we're preparing is not a, it's not a five-star hotel. It's a, it's a local, you know, on the side of the road motel. And but you know why that does why that breaks down and why that makes absolutely no sense? Like when I look at my own life, and I invite you to do the same. Like when you look at your own life, like what is your heart? Is is it a, is it a five-star hotel or is it like a on the side of the road motel? And you only pull over and sleep there because you have absolutely no other choice. Did the Spirit of God come into your life because you cleaned yourself up and you made yourself attractable and made yourself presentable to Him? No, absolutely not. Because the truth of the matter is our lives are our dumps. You know, in my heart, there's mold and water damage and, and, and things are rotting and infestation. And if, you're like, if your life is, is anything at all like mine, uh, it was and even now continues to be a mess of sin and failure and shame. And, and essentially, you know, if the, if the spirit was a state inspector, he would come and he would fail me and, you know, every code and every, and every kind of regulation. And the reason this is the case is because what Paul is saying is that apart from the spirit, naturally we live in the flesh. And we walk according to the flesh, and so we set our minds on the things of the flesh, and we love it. We absolutely love it. And because of that, the Spirit, he could have, and the Spirit should have turned and ran the other way. You know, the Spirit really has no business to live inside of us. You, you know why? If you actually look at the history, the, the history of the, Holy, uh, of the Holy Spirit, in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit only ever dwelled in the perfect habitations of the tabernacle and the temple. Right, go back and reread all those descriptions, all the, all the regulations in Exodus and, and Leviticus. And let's be honest, those parts are the least read parts in the Bible because they are so meticulous with their attention to detail about what God is desiring, right? How he wants 
the design of his temple, his tabernacle, to be faultless and flawless, right? But if you think about it, the Spirit of God, whenever he came to dwell with God's people, always dwelled in the most immaculate, impeccable places. That's where his presence was. That's what the temple and tabernacle were. So then how in the world did he end up indwelling sinners like you and me? Like how in the world did he go from the majesty of the temple to living in now the mess of my life? Why would he ever do such a thing? And the answer is Jesus. The answer is Jesus because it's Jesus that the Spirit came to live in us. You, you see, in verses 5 to 9, Paul, he's focusing on the Spirit. He talks a lot about the Spirit, the Spirit's indwelling. But then he says this in verse 10. Look at it. You may have missed it. But, but then listen to what he says. He says, okay, the Spirit is indwelling in you. If the Spirit of God dwells in you. But then he says, but if Christ is in you. And it seems like for a second that Paul made a mistake because Paul's talking about the Spirit indwelling in you, the Spirit of God indwells you, and then he says, oh, now Christ indwells you, and you're like, wait, wait a minute, Paul, did you make a mistake there? Did you mean to say the Spirit of Christ? But Paul is actually being very intentional here because what he's hinting at is this, that you can only have the Spirit of Christ in you because you first have Christ in you. You know, the Spirit of God and the Son of God, they're distinct, but they're inseparable. Because Jesus made himself available to you, he's made his spirit available to you as well. So you get the spirit, not because you're deserving, not because the spirit looked you up on Airbnb and saw that you're a good host and it's a good place for him to stay. It's the exact opposite. He read the reviews on you. He knew you were a terrible host, that the residence of your heart was tainted and dirty and sinful and unfit for him. But it was because you belong to Jesus, because you're united to the perfect Savior who died a perfect death on your account, that now you are counted righteous in him. And because of that, the Spirit of God comes to dwell in you. And as he dwells in you, he begins this work of renovation, of cleaning up the mess that we are and making us into the temple because he now dwells within us and he doesn't plan on moving out anytime soon. You know, friends, God has sent his Spirit and with him comes all of these promises, all of these assurances that we can spend really an eternity meditating on and enjoying. And isn't it good news that despite your indwelling sin, Christ will still send you his indwelling spirit. That's, there's, there's great joy to be found in this. And Spirit of God, He is God's presence with you so you know you are never alone. He is God's seal on you knowing that you belong and have been purchased by Jesus. He is God's guarantee of resurrection hope and the life to come after death that will last forever and ever. You know, the world may give you no reason to rejoice, but the gospel gives you every reason to rejoice. In Jesus Christ, you have the indwelling Spirit of God. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful that even when we couldn't create our, our hearts and our lives to be a habitation fit for you, uh, that you still came and you entered into, into the mess of, of what is our lives. Um, and by your grace and your mercy, uh, you would take up residence in this heart. 
And as you do, as you indwell us, you fill us with many promises and assurances. Some that people here need to hear today. Some in here are feeling very alone, very abandoned, very lost and far away and distant. But the promise for those who are in Christ as the Spirit lives in them means that you are present with them, never far from them. Father, there are some in this room who are struggling with old habits, with temptations and enslaving masters who act like they have control over people's lives. And they need the reminder that no, they belong now to Jesus Christ. Father, there are some in here who are suffering, either themselves or a loved one. There is surgery coming up. There is long nights spent in the hospital, in and out of the ER, the ICU. There's much fear of what is to come, and they need the Spirit of God indwelling in them to remind them of resurrection hope. Father, all of us, we need this Spirit to testify with our spirit and remind us of these truths we have now in Christ. And I pray, God, that this week you would solidify that and write that on our hearts. We pray and ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. People of God, receive the benediction. Now may the grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and the love of God, the Father Almighty, and the fellowship and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit be with you all, both now and forevermore. Amen. Would you hear the words of dismissal? Let us go forth to serve the world as those who love our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God. Go in peace, friends.